Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And uh, we have only a couple more weeks, and children, you can be dismissed at this time. I see some have gone, some haven't, but we only have a couple more weeks, and uh, we will be uh, through with uh, the study that we've done in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, so. Um, we will head on to something new next year, and I'm looking forward to that as well. As I said last week, we all have a choice. The only possible response that we can have to the sermon that Christ has preached here in Matthew is to make a decision. And we have a decision. We can either go through the narrow way that leads to life, or we can go through the wide way that Scripture says leads to destruction. Those are the only two alternatives. There aren't other multiple choices. We either follow the religion of divine accomplishment, that is that you recognize your own sinfulness and you accept what Christ has done, or you follow the religion of human achievement where you uh, will never be good enough. Through the narrow gate, you go on the merits of Christ and what Christ has done. You go alone. You agonize through repentance. On the other hand, you can choose the broad gate, which we talked about last week, which you can take your sins with you. Christ portrayed the broad way all throughout his sermon. He portrayed that it's a way of self-righteousness that the Pharisees struggled with. In other words, you are not able to do it on your own. And Jesus has told us through this whole series that you have to strip yourself of your self-righteousness, your pride, your self-sufficiency, your sin, and you have to go God's way, which is the narrow way. You can't carry your stuff with you. You can't carry your sins and your desires with you. You leave it with Christ. Christ told us there that few will find it. We see that in the verses we looked at last week. There will be few that actually find the narrow way, the right way. I think one of the reasons why it's so difficult for many people to find the narrow way is because Satan doesn't want people to go that way. And so Satan has sent out false teachers. False teachers that stand in the way almost, you know, we have a police officer here, they stand in the way almost like a traffic cop but pointing you in the wrong direction. Have you ever been given wrong directions? It's no fun. I remember uh, when I was in college, I was a freshman in college, and uh, at, I believe it was thanks, no, it was Christmas break, we were traveling, I was going to be traveling home from Wisconsin to Connecticut, and uh, we, we didn't have enough money to do a flight, and so I, I was going to get a ride with someone else that was at school with me, and so there was another guy who lived in Massachusetts, so he said he would take me home. There was a couple others that rode with us. This guy was a senior and I was a freshman. He was an interesting fellow. I could tell you multiple stories about this guy on our trips. Like the one time we ran out of gas, that was interesting. But um, he, he had some issues. But anyway, we were driving along and I'm pretty good with directions, but um, we had been driving through Ohio. We were going across 80 through Ohio and then we were going to head. And I, I, I've driven that many times and um, and uh, I knew the way to go. I'm, I'm good with directions, but um, he had been driving for a while, and I was kind of groggy. I probably shouldn't admit that, but uh, I was kind of groggy, and I, I started driving along, and we came to um, the next exit, which was, if you're familiar with that area, 
uh, you have a choice. You either take 80, which um, goes north a little bit and heads east, um, or you take 76, which heads south and then cuts across the bottom of Pennsylvania. Well, we were going, we needed to go the upper way, but um, my, the guy that was with me, his name was Phil, Phil said, you need to take 76. I said, Phil, no, we need to take 80. No, you need to want to argue with him. Well, I was driving, so I took 76. No, this is the right way. And he was convinced of it. We drove about, this is the wrong way. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. Exit. Just turn around in one of those U-turn places. Now, I'm a law-abiding citizen, so I knew I wasn't supposed to do that. And so I said, Phil, I, we can't do that. And he's like, no, just do it. And I said, Phil, we can't do that. And he, he was convinced that was the right thing to do. And I said, I'm, I'm not going to do that. We can't do that. And he said, pull over, pull over, I'll drive. So I pull over to the side of the road, and, and I hop out, and he hops in, and he gets to the next turnaround place and turns around, and guess what? <laughs> he got pulled over. <laughs> I was in the back seat smiling. The funny thing is, is I've been with him a few times when he got pulled over. So I think that was very passage. I think what we're going to see is at times when we have a choice, we can either go the narrow direction. You say, well, why, why would anyone choose that way? Because, verse 15, and I will read and you can follow along. He says, beware, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. A healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A health does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will be recognized passage that will understand who these guys are, who these individuals are, these be aware, and help us to stand by the truth. And we ask this in your name. Amen. False prophets, they stand, if you will, at a crossroads. And they're trying away and push men to the broad way, and, and, and the Bible says they succeed. How do we know they succeed? Well, if you look in your Bible at verse 22, it says this statement. We'll look at more of this in a couple weeks. But he says in verse 22, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? In other words, he says there will be a time when many people will say, Hey, didn't we choose the right way? And God will say, No, you didn't. So there are many that are being deceived by these false prophets that are mentioned here. So what Jesus is in effect is saying is as you strive to enter the narrow way, beware of those who will mislead you. What I want to look at this morning is two directives that I believe he gives us. The first one is a warning about false prophets. If you look at verse 15, he says, beware of false prophets. The Lord is very clear here. He's talking about these false prophets. We'll get into more of what that means in a minute. Now it's False prophet is not an uncommon thing in the Bible. Over and over again, God warns people to beware of those who are trying to promote false teaching, in a sense. In, in uh, Matthew chapter 24, and verse 11, he says, And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. It's a very common thing. We see that throughout Scripture. Paul, in fact, warned against this type of thing. And he says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught, and avoid them. We see throughout Scripture the teaching is that there are those who arise up that are going to understand a little bit about them. First of all, the definition. What is a false prophet? And we, we go our own way, we do our own thing, and we get lost easily in life. Man's heart to God. So Scripture tells us that he picked out certain people, he redeemed them, and he sent them to mankind to draw men's hearts back to God. These are the prophets. We see them throughout the, the Bible. 
And you will find in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there's a common thing about these individuals. First of all, they all had a divine commission, and they all had a divine message. They were called by God, and they were given the content of what to say. We see these guys, and some of them were quite, quite interesting. We'll talk a little bit about them. But they were God's man sent to speak God's message, send his true prophets to, to lead people to the right direction when Satan... But I believe they're around. There are people who mask one thing, but they were something completely different inside. And that's why Jesus preached this message in consequence. He literally took their mask off. That's why he called them hypocrites. He took that off. They were the ones who were parading themselves as if they were godly, but really they were self-seeking. And they were used to uh, gaining uh, from people's failures. In this passage, he says, if you look back at Matthew chapter 7, he says, beware of false prophets. What is the word false? The word false means a sham, a lie, a phony. Beware of those who are not real. And man, because of the, we are who we are, we can be easily deceived. I mean, you can see that. I mean, how many times have you, you know, watched a commercial on TV and God comes upon the sons of disobedience? Don't be deceived. Colossians, people will arise, people will come around that will teach false things, and we have teaching uh, lies. The second thing we want to notice as we see there is the danger of a false prophet. Notice, if you will, uh, verse 15 indicates something. It starts off with the word beware. I don't know about you, but beware usually indicates something dangerous. It usually indicates something that is not a good thing. Beware is a word that uh, obviously creates um, caution. As many of you know, I spent many years of my life delivering newspapers. You know, one of the most tedious jobs I've ever done. But uh, I was able to do it category. You go to a house and you see a sign that says, Beware of dog. Dogs, I mean, I don't hate dogs, but I'm a little skittish around dogs. And uh, this, so I, I would take the paper and I would throw the paper up to their house. Well, they complained. We want you to deliver to the door. I'm like, your door says beware of dogs. So I'm a little cautious about that. And they said, oh, our dog is harmless. Okay. So one day I was delivering, and uh, it was early in the morning, and I'm delivering, and I go up to the door, and the, the screen door was closed, but the front door was open. And I, I was like, uh-oh. See, I was supposed to stick it in the screen door, and so I opened the screen door just as I did. I heard, whoa, 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 and I, oh, okay. I took off and ran as fast as I could. You know what? I never again went and delivered the door to that door because beware meant something to me. It's a severe word. And literally in the Greek, in this passage, what it means is hold your mind back from them. It's the idea of don't let your mind be exposed to their teaching. In Peter, the passage he says there, he says, but these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will be destroyed in their destruction. What is he saying in this passage? I, uh, the King James word is actually interesting. It says, beware, and it's in the King James it says, it calls them brute beasts. Okay? You don't want to be around a brute beast. And the idea of what he's telling us in this passage that Jesus is saying is, is caution. These individuals writing at a time when the number one industry in, uh, in Jerusalem, this moment as it traveled, it would find its way and it would creep into the, into the, into the, the, the herd of sheep and it would find a, a one and it would snatch it and it would rip it to shreds. And so for a shepherd, they would understand this. 
Beware of a ravenous wolf. You know, it's interesting that he uses that because throughout Scripture, God uh, defines, Jesus defines himself as the good shepherd. And the good shepherd cares for his sheep. So as a shepherd that would care for his sheep at this time, he would be very alert. He would be looking constantly. He would hear a noise and he would turn to make sure it wasn't a wolf. And the false prophet here is, is coming in and he's not the shepherd, but instead he's a ravenous wolf. The Greek word here, ravenous, is, is interesting. It means to snatch or to seize. You can get the picture of a, of a, of a wolf that buries his teeth into this animal. Sheep are defenseless. They need a shepherd. And here he says this wolf buries it, so they're dangerous. They're devouring wolves who devour to shove people. Their desire is they endeavor to shove people from the broad, from, to, into the broad way, the, the wide gate that we talked about last week, Scripture, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But he tells us they're dangerous. The third thing he tells us, sheep. Notice what it says again in that verse. He says, they come to you in sheep. This does not sound comfortable, but he did. It was a statement, claim the message of God, to tell people to, to go to obedience. That, was what, uh, uh, that is what they were. Again, he wore the garment of a prophet. Therefore, rough garment in order to deceive. It was a common thing. The, why? Because the common thing for a shepherd back in that day would be to dress. It was the way that they would uh, dress so that the sheep would feel comfortable around them. And so they would wear uh, wool, and so the shepherd would. And so what he's saying here in this passage is you have these individuals who come along, these false prophets, who inwardly have, uh, are, are wicked and inwardly have a desire to deceive, but outwardly they come as if they're the shepherd. Throughout Scripture, we see three types of false prophets. I'm going to just give you these quickly. First of all is a heretic. What is a heretic? A heretic is one who comes along and says, uh, that's not true, it's a lie. Don't believe the Bible. There's a lot of heretics around. They teach heresy. They teach that which is contrary to Scripture. There are many religions in, in this world that teach that which is contrary to Scripture and at times even say they're teaching Scripture. He says, uh, he might even say, I believe the Bible, but his teaching is twisted. It's turned actually away from the truth. That's a heretic. There's also an apostate. What's an apostate? Apostate is one that completely denies the faith. He doesn't believe the faith. The last one is the tough one, and the last one is what's being talked about. He talks about the Bible. He talks about the church. He talks about the Holy Spirit. He hangs around with people that are true Christians. He's warning us against people who sound like they teach the gospel, sound like Christians, no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Talk about the cross and heaven and Christianity was gaining popularity in, in Christian circles. Would never promote hell. Would never teach on hell. The problem is, is many Christians were like, oh, that makes sense. And that's what we're talking about is a person who comes in and they talk about how to be happy. They talk about how to be healed. They talk about, uh, about the, the pleasures of serving God, but the problem is, is they're teaching that which is drawing people away from the narrow way into the broad way, which ultimately is going to lead them to destruction. In the early parts of the church, in the year 100, uh, there is a writing that, that uh, there's a number of writings that they have found, and 
this one particular writing was teaching the early church and how to stay away from false prophets. And they used an interest, use Christ. They, they even trade in Christ. They even sell Christ. That they will be led. And Christ will say, I never knew you. And they'll be thrown in verse 19. Carefully, he says, beware, a warning. But the second thing I want to notice in the next few he doesn't say, okay, uh, you know, watch out for them, but good luck figuring out who they are. He's really as serious as he says, if he really says beware, and if he really says watch out because they're like wolves, then, then isn't it helpful that God would tell, understand who they are? And so he tells us who they are. Look, at, if you will, at verse 16. He says, you will recognize them by their fruits. He says, you will recognize them by what? By their fruits. Look at verse 20. He says there, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. How are you to know who they are? A tree is judged by its fruits, isn't it? If you want to know what a prophet is like, look at what he produces. You know, grapes uh, don't grow on thorns. That's what Scripture tells us. Figs don't grow on thistles. Closely, you see those principles there in Scripture. In verse 17, he says, So a healthy tree, understand that. You go to an orchard and you see a tree that's, that's take home. It's something that we can see. Good trees make good fruit. Bad trees make... You've got a bad tree, you're going to get bad fruits. And the idea isn't necessarily always stinky, rotten, you know, wretched-looking tree that produces shriveled fruit. It might be that they both look all right until you bite into it. Maybe you've had that experience before. You grab an apple, man, it looks fantastic, and you bite into it, and it's rotten inside. I'll give you four words that help us to understand what this fruit is. First of all, the fruit is character. The fruit is character. What is your character? What is my character? Well, what kind of character does this person have? What kind of other patterns? You know, this can be applied to false prophets. You know, many times this idea is it can be applied to us. And the question you need to ask yourself is what is your fruit? The first part of this fruit is their character. Character involves everything. Character involves everything from not only what you do, but what you think. And maybe you have a good external character, but what about your internal character? What, what, is, it, what is your life manifesting? Look, if you will, at, at Luke chapter 3 and verse 8. And Jesus is, uh, excuse me, uh, Jesus isn't speaking here. This is John the Baptist is speaking, and this is before uh, Jesus begins to preach. And, and John says, he's talking to a group of people, and he says to them, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. What is the idea of what he's saying there? He's saying that as a person who, who, who has himself captivated by the same sin constantly over and over again, and uh, he said, maybe you're not bearing fruits of repentance. And notice what it says next. The crowd comes to him and says, okay, then what do we do? How should we live? What is it that you, what, what would be fruits of repentance? What would be evidences of the fact that we have repented of our sin? Notice what he says next. He answers and he says to them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. What he says in that passage is, uh, they come to him and they say, John, um, you know, how do we know then that we have bared fruit? And he says, basically, the sum of it is this. You're more concerned with the needs of others than your own. You're looking out for the needs of others. Uh, in other words, he's saying the fruits of repentance is giving something to someone in need. It's an action. 
Fruits of repentance is not just words, but there's something behind that. That's what Jesus is dressing over and over again here in this book, in this message where he's telling them, if you're going to actually be a follower of Christ, there's going to be evidence of that. You know, the, remember we said that you know, he was talking about some of the Old Testament commands, and he was saying, you know, it says, thou shalt not kill, but you guys hate all the time. There's no evidence of, the, uh, of what's inside. There's no fruit. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is saying, how do I prove that I'm a follower of Christ? By bearing fruit. What is the action, but it's also the attitude behind the action. Throughout Scripture, we see fruit mentioned. In Ephesians, uh, Paul calls it the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Many of you have memorized these verses before. Love, joy, peace. And he goes through a list. Those are evidences of, uh, of being a follower of God. In, in Philippians, Paul calls it the fruit of righteousness, right living. What is the fruit in your, uh, the fruit is your character, and is your character show righteousness? In Colossians, he says the fruit is the fruit of every good work. So what we're saying here is that the first test of a false prophet is his conduct, his character. You cannot get true righteousness from a rotten tree. You can't get true holiness from an unregenerate person. Check his character. Check his lifestyle because whatever is in his heart is going to come out. Notice what it says in in Peter describing these uh, false teachers. It says they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions. While they feast with you, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. What is it describing them as? They can cover it up by making sure no one knows the truth about their real moral life. Holiness, unless their motive is to overcome the offensiveness of sin, the test is the inside. You remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? Jesus went, people are living this exterior of being good. Again, he's addressing not the exterior, but the interior. That's why he said to them, you know, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But when you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Over and over again, he addresses those issues because the, the, the character of who we are is our fruit. And we can, we can give across an outward appearance of having godly character, but what is really inside? So their fruit is their character, but secondly, their fruit is their creed. What is creed? Well, I need to use another C. So uh, creed is, is teaching. Teaching. What is the teaching of these false prophets? Well, their teaching is going to be wrong. Notice what... Uh, excuse me, take your Bibles, we're in Matthew, turn to Matthew chapter 12, we'll get to the verse in Jeremiah in a minute. Matthew chapter 12, and verse 33. Jesus is also teaching a similar thing here, and he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruits. Verse 34, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Look at verse 37. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Listen, what he's really saying here is, 
I have not failed to declare unto you the whole counsel of God, the whole word of God, stands in this pulpit says, including me. And challenge, is this, is this from the word of God? Is it biblical? You know, maybe you listen to specifically what the person has to say about, uh, about Christ and salvation. You know, what did Jesus tell us about salvation? He just told us in this previous passage. What did he say? He said, it's hard. It's hard. He said, you go through a narrow gate. Let me tell you something, that the doctrine of salvation of many people today is the exact opposite of that. It isn't uh, teaching that type of salvation. What's the message today? It's a great, big, wide, uh, it includes anyone. All you have to do is believe in Jesus, and that's true. But he still says it's a challenge. And they may talk, it doesn't matter. Everyone's included. Scripture said, because we have to work hard? No. It means because the, the challenge of coming to Christ is a, is a point in time when we come to a realization that the only way I can have escape from my sin is Christ. I can't do it on my own. I can't do it through my own righteousness. And so it's actually, the word repentance means to turn your back on. It's to say, Lord, I repent of my sin, I turn my back on my sin. We still have a sin nature, so we still struggle with that. But the message is often a message of comfortableness with a false prophet. Happiness. We don't want to offend anyone. The story of the cross. To go up to someone and say, you know what? Scripture tells us that every single person in this world is on their way. People may, false prophets may present Christ. They may present him. That's why Jeremiah, notice what Jeremiah said. It's interesting. He says they have healed, but there really isn't peace without Christ. Doctrine. The teachings of the Bible. Why? Because it's too hard. One writer, Martin Lloyd-Jones, said this, Repentance means you realize you're guilty. A vile sinner in the presence of God. Again, that's offensive. We don't want to consider ourselves to be vile sinners, but that's what God tells us. He goes on, he says this, It means you realize that you deserve the wrath and punishment of God, that you're hell-bound. It means that you realize that this thing called sin is in you, and you long to get rid of it, and you turn your back on it in every shape and form. You renounce the world, whatever the cost, and you deny yourself, and you take up your cross, and you go after Christ. A false teacher is not going to teach that type of commitment. Their fruit is their character. Their fruit is their creed. And finally, their fruit is their conclusion. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 19, um, it says in that passage, Matthew 7, 19, he says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What's the conclusion? What's the conclusion of these false teachers is that they'll be thrown in the fire. The problem is, is I believe there are many people who will, as we'll look at in a few weeks, who will stand up and say, Lord, we did all these things. We followed you. And God will say, you never knew me. Depart from me. I want to close with a truth that I want you to think about. 
And that truth is that God allows false prophets to exist. And the question is, why? Why? You know, why does God allow them to exist? You know, why is that? Why didn't the Lord just uh, not let them do anything? Why is it that God let them happen? Why is it that God let them be involved? Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19. He says, For there must be fa- uh, factions or heresies among you in order that those who are genuine among you might, may be recognized. God says here, he says, it's not one you've probably heard very often because it's a, it's a different type of topic. But I, want, I, I wanted to preach this. Well, first of all, it's, you know, uh, recently someone said, you know, did you, you preach the message? Did you specifically pick that message for me? <laughs> like, no, I'm just preaching in order, you know. <laughs> Didn't go out of order. But, you know, as I was going through this, I was like, this is, this is an interesting topic, but I think that it's important because I think we need to be warned. We need to be warned that there are false teachings out there. We need to be careful. We need to be careful that we're sticking, we're sticking this. You need to search Scripture. Read what the Bible says. Understand, too many Christians are trap of the work of the false prophets. You know, maybe it's that, that your passage before this, he says, narrow is the way. It takes uh, us acknowledging our sin. I challenge you to search Scripture and see what God has for you. Let's close in prayer. God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the teaching we see here in this passage. Lord, you're addressing an issue that was a problem in Christ's day, but I think it's also a problem today. Many people get caught up into things that are not biblical. Lord, I pray you'll help us to discern. Uh, discern what your word has for us. Discern what your word says. And um, really be captivated by the truth of Scripture. Lord, and as a, as a side note, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to examine our own lives. And we look as we examine our own lives and we see, uh, do we have fruit in our own lives that shows that we are a follower of God? That we are a true disciple and not a false disciple? Do we have evidence not only in our outward appearance but also in our inward attitudes of one who who has made the decision to turn from their sins? Not that we're sinless. Lord, help us to to know what our attitude and our desire is pointed out to us. If there's any here who have not placed their faith in Christ, I pray that you will help them to see that need. Help them to know that they're on the broad road and they're, they're headed to destruction. But you have the answers. You sent your son to die to pay their, their way, to allow them to enter through the gate that leads to life. And I thank you for all that you've done. I pray that you help us to follow you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.